Welcome to Going Off Track. Welcome. Um, Welcome back to my crib. Back at Brad's place, I had a, a bagel. I brought Brad, Brad a Biale. 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 Dude, that was a good be. I mean, Bialis are good. Probably nobody, maybe like three people listening to this know what a Biale is. Well, I went to this place, Kosar's, which Brad pointed out last time I was here, which is kind of a famous place. And they were out of Biales and like, it'll be 10 minutes. And then I was like... How did they run out? And then I ordered one, and the guy behind me was like, I want 18 Bialis. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is how they run out. <laughs> That's all they used to make. They didn't, I don't think they used to have bagels. Really? Yeah. They had a pretty, I had a bagel, and it was pretty good. And I also was told once that, that there was only like two places that made Bialis. Like really? Bialis are like a New York thing, I think. Gotcha. And there were two places in New York, and now Kosar's may be the only one. Bialis are delicious. If you do come to New York or you live in New York, you should get a Bialis. You yeah. can get them at Kosar's. You can get them at some like diners and delis and stuff. But it's like it's like if you kind of cross like an a not even a ba- like an English muffin and maybe a bagel with like some little like kind of onions in the middle. They're so good. Man. How was your Bialy today? It was awesome. Yeah, I should have got. It was one. better than I remembered. Should have got one. If I'm you get, get a Bialy, I think the best way is just to have them cut it in half, toast it, and put butter on it. Great, it's an amazing experience. Simple. It's like, it's a little bit different dough than a, or maybe it's because it's cooked different. I don't know. It's delicious. It's great. Great. I um, recommend to be Ollie. And I want to mention that this is our first uh, podcast at our new space. Pulse. Ah, yeah. Pulse. Big, Pulse. big ups to Pulse. Big ups to Pulse. Pulse Music. Pulse Music. We recorded this with um, Streven Grawalski. Yes. Who's a friend of mine I've been playing in a band with. And he's, he's um, yeah, he's been manning the boards for the last... Everything we've done at Pulse, uh, every podcast from now until further notice has, has been at Pulse Music. And yeah, it's been, they've treated forward. us well. It's a great space if you want to do a podcast. Um, they do a lot of music for film. They have a great live room, a uh, really nice studio. So yeah, check them out online. It's a really good space. West 29th Street, very good location. It is. Um, speaking of locations. Hey. I'm going out of town this, this next week. I know. I'm... Uh... You're going to L.A.? I'm going to L.A. Um, I need to take a trip to L.A. Dude, here's the thing. I <clears throat> wanted to go to L.A., didn't really have a reason, and uh, then it got announced that Racket Club is playing their first show. Um, it's going to be at Resident in downtown L.A. on May 6th. Oh. I know this sounds like like I'm, uh, like it's an advertisement because it sort of is, but <laughs> at the same time, I am. if anyone knows me, they know I'm obsessed with the Jellison. I'm obsessed with the Racket Club. Span Record Club is uh, Blair and Bob from the Jail Sound and Sergi from Napsack right. and Sam I Am. Um, and this guy, Ian, who uh, actually is Blair's neighbor, who Blair, because I it just interviewed Blair about it. He was like, I was looking for, we were looking for a bass player. And he's like, I saw this, my neighbor. I was like, do you know anyone? He's like, I'll do it. He's like, all right. <laughs> and uh, they recorded their first record for Rise. It's coming out later this year. They have a single, Blood on the Moon, they released. It's amazing. I have the record. It's incredible if you love those bands. And uh, you can check out everything on social media at at RucketClub.com. So I would definitely check them out. I, I listen to this record pretty much every day. I love it. And wow. while I'm on this rant, speaking of, uh, speaking of Sergi, uh, Sam I Am, uh, who the Goops have toured with. Yeah, three months of touring three we did with those touring. guys. Um, I saw them last year. They still sound great. Uh, they're going to be doing some spots in Jersey and Philly in June. Uh, and I saw them last year. They're great. So June 9th, they'll be playing at Garwood, New Jersey at Crossroads. You can get tickets for that at Ticketfly.com. And June 10th, they will be headlining the Nishamini Creek Brewery Company's five-year anniversary party with a free show on June 10th in Croydon, Pennsylvania. 
So I don't know where that is, but if you live in Pennsylvania, check it out. If you're living, I don't actually don't know where either of these places are. Criden, I've never heard of Criden or Garwood. I'll but, look it up. But you should go, and uh, they're also going to be touring uh, Europe in July. So check that all out in their Facebook page for all the dates at Sam I Am Fancy. Um, so yeah, uh, today on the podcast we have a guy named Josh Bayer. I'm not related to. But sure I, you are. I got a press release. He did the artwork for. We're both big fans of the Cleveland hardcore band Integrity, and he did the artwork for a reissue of their record. And I saw it, and I was like. I thought I had written the liner notes. It was like something, something, <laughs> J.O. Bayer. And I was like, oh, because I've done Integrity liner notes before. And I was like, no, it's this artist. And I checked out his stuff. It was awesome. And you're like, I didn't do the art, did yeah. I? Yeah. I was like, did I when do did this I and do forget that? about it? <laughs> and I started researching this guy. And he's, uh, he's an artist. He teaches, um, he's a comic book artist. He teaches comic and drawing classes at Third Word, Third Word in Brooklyn, the 92nd Street Y, Educational Alliance, and SVA. And uh, yeah, he started out doing zines and stuff. And since then, he's been in all these exhibitions. He does all these comics. Um, he's done work for TV. He's a super interesting guy, very into music. Um, and uh, yeah, we talked a lot about music and comics and sort of his approach to teaching. And I thought this was like a really interesting episode for our first one at Pulse. So I think that's pretty much it. Let's let's get into, get into it with it? Josh Bear. I wish I was related to this guy. Sadly, I'm not. But we both love integrity. Maybe somewhere back. Somewhere, right? Yeah. You go back, you know, a couple generations. There's got to be a connect. Yeah. I'm going to look into that. What's that app? What's that site? I don't know. We're not going to plug them. We're not going to plug it. But yeah, there's a site where you can do that. It's probably fake. Cost money. Yeah. It costs too much money. I don't know know how much it costs, but that should not cost any money. (laughs) Okay. Josh Bear. Josh, thanks so much for coming. Yay! Thank you. Yeah, good to be here. Our first time at Pulse Studios. Thank you, Pulse. Thank you. What do you think? You, got, in, you listeners have no idea how nice this place is. Yeah. Uh, we have to apologize to every subsequent guest coming afterwards. Um, you don't have free shoes here, do you, at Pulse? No? <laughs> no? No. No free shoes. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> that train's gone. <laughs> um, but yeah, we. Uh, I got a press release about a year ago that you had done the artwork for this integrity reissue and i thought it our names are so close and i've done liner notes for i did a liner note for the reissue of those who fear tomorrow i think the 10 or 15 the one fractor transmitter put out and i was like oh did i write something for this and forget about it and it was like no josh bear and then i saw the art and it was awesome and i was like this guy has like the same name as me and loves integrity and so i yeah. think i just emailed you out of the blue and i was like how do we not know each other right i mean how did that sort of come about the integrity thing the part about part about us having the same name we still don't know how that came about right but the uh integrity connection um what happened was i did a i did uh some artwork i did some comics for this anthology henry and gwen forever which was about a yeah it's like i've read it it's amazing that's you uh yeah i have like if you have the big thick collection, I have like twenty pages in there. Okay, um, I remember the initial one. Are you familiar with Henry and Glenn Forever? Yeah, Josh sent it to me. Oh, God, oh so, so you have like the little one. I have right? the little one. Yeah, yeah. So they kept on doing it because oh that that first one sold fifty thousand copies. So great. And uh, Tom Neely, who's the you know was his brain, mm-hmm. brainchild or him and a collective that he was in. So he, uh, I begged him to get into it, and I actually, I think I pitched an idea to get into Henry and Glenn Forever, and. Um, I did two stories. I did a second one, 
and for the anthology and Dwid, I put, I featured Dwid in it. Really? Yeah, I didn't tell you this. No. So I put Dwid in. It. I had a story. This was really okay. So if you're a hardcore Integrity fan, this is really interesting. So. <laughs> In the my comic, it's totally our audience. Seriously, yes. actually, <laughs> in, my, in the comic, Danzig is having a he goes into like a dream state, and Dwid comes and he's trying to. It's in the nine. It's in the eighties, and he's trying to find iconography for Sam Hain. And Dwid comes to him from the future and says, "It's okay to steal the Sam Hain iconography from the cover of, of what's it for? It's a comic book, not Quasar. Um, you know this, right? That." The Sam Haynes skull is taken from a comic book. It's from, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of it. It's a... Not uh, the Marvel Quasar, but... It's not Quasar. It's very similar. I can't think of it. It'll come to me in 10 minutes, I'm sure. It but it's like an obscure comic about... Crystar. Crystar, the Crystal Warrior. Crystar, the Crystal Warrior? Hell yeah. No fucking way. Nolan. <laughs> I think the artist is Kevin Nolan, maybe. And there's a cover of like Crystar number 6 or 12 or something. There's not many of them because I got them all. Chris Starr's on the cover holding a sword yeah. aloft, and he's on top of the Danzig skull, but it's 1985 or 86, so Danzig, or 83, I don't know. Yeah, it's 80, probably 84, Chris because there were toys. It was a toy. So Danzig <sighs> took the, the twisted, whip-snarling skull of the horns. It's from a Chris Starr comic. It's just random. He just took it and appropriated it. So people have made fun of him for that. Like, they do everything with him. And, and it's like, you know, I'm like, that's what you do as an artist. You steal. That's cool. So he, uh, but here's the crazy, crazy part is that Integrity also borrowed the Integrity skull from a comic book. Really? Yeah. This is already my favorite podcast we've ever done. Oh my today. gosh. So Blood by J.M. Demetheus and art by Kent Williams. It came out in 87. And uh, it is, it's a painted comic. Um, it's very interesting. I don't mean to go off on a tangent about it there. I was looking, I bought it when I was in high school and years later, like in the two thousands, I saw it and there's the integrity skull on one page, like collaged into an image. So in my com, I'm like, and to me, that was like such a weird revelation. I think I Googled it and nobody else knew about it. So when I had a chance to write for Henry and Glenn, I'm like, here's two rock stars who I fucking love. And I, I can say fuck, right? Yes. And um, I'm going to have Dwid come like Danzig's like soul, uh, like spirit guide and say, I'm from the future. And you go and take the Chris Star logo and make it your own because that's what we're supposed to do. And look at this. And he pulls his shirt and he has the integrity skull. He's like, I took this from a comic. You take it. I'll take it in the f- 10 years from now. So that was a comic, and Danzig, um, I'm sorry, not Danzig, Dwid, wrote me on Facebook and had seen the comic, and he was like, hey, I'm, you know, this is my real name, but I'm actually Dwid, and like, hey, I saw your comic, haha, cool, you know, he's super, I mean, that guy has a good sense of humor, he's, yeah, yeah. like, was unfazed by it, and um, I, uh, we became friends, and then eventually he started like pitching me the idea or I pitched him the idea of me doing work for him. And I ended up doing work for my all time favorite album of all time. It was um, Systems Overload? Uh, no, or it was, it was Humanity, um, is Humanity is the Devil. Yeah. yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. I was reading some, um, I've never been able to pronounce his name right, but J.M. Uh, Demetheus. I don't Demetheus. know. I'm probably saying it wrong. Yeah. Because he did Justice League International. He did a whole bunch of shit with yep. Keith Giffen and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I was reading him the other night, actually. I love his work. Uh, it's like all but, signs point to the show. 
I was just listening to a podcast with him, and he mentioned Blood and some other comic he did. And he was kind of like went through one of those arcs as an artist where he was doing personal work. And then he did the Justice League books. And he said he kept on trying to kind of get off of it, get out of the book, Justice League, because he was like, I want to do this deep personal work from my soul. It's kind of interesting hearing him talk about it because he's probably like in his 30s or 40s. And he was like, Justice League kind of represented a crossroads for him. Like, am I going to be... Uh, an auteur, I'm not an auteur, but am I going to be somebody that does personal, intense work which pushes the envelope and gets me respect? Or am I going to do this book which is wildly successful? And it's, it's like that whole Scott McCloud thing where it shows like, you're going to be this kind of guy or this kind of guy? Yeah. I'm understanding comics like, you want to be this guy? You yeah. You want to be guy who makes mouse or you want to be, which is fine. Or do you want to be the person who's the color separator, which is also awesome. Right, right. Wow, it's fascinating. I had never thought about that. Because that International is like a very... To me, it's a very personal book because it's the first superhero book I remember reading as a kid that was so damn funny mm-hmm. and very poignant. It was like um, like an episode of MASH or Scrubs where it's like, it's really funny, but it also had something else going on. Mm-hmm. And that's, wow. Yeah. Were you a fan of that kind of stuff? Like, um, what, you, what got you into comics and art? Well, during that period that you're talking about, I, don't, I wasn't as much of a DC guy. Uh, I admired that comic, yeah. especially Kevin McGuire's art, if I'm saying mm-hmm. his name right. Uh, at that time, that was like '86. I loved, uh, I loved. Um, well, I want to say I loved Mark Greenwald's DP Seven and Captain America. Though honestly, I skimmed those, and then I really read. No, no, actually, I did. I was 16 years old, and I loved Greenwald's Captain America. And then years later, I went back and reread them and really loved them. As far as like that era, with the new go. universe DP Seven, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I do. I got them, man. Yeah, it's, it's Star Brand and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Kickers Incorporated is pretty stupid, but I still got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love DP Seven was good, but when you realized that it was like it's the new universe, it's the X Men, but it's was that guy and it's Scuzz, the one who would spit and throw. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in the first issue of Raw Power that I did, that you have, um, I have. Oh, I have a, another issue. Uh, I, th- I don't think I brought it. I'm sold out of Raw Power one, but I retold like issue, like speaking of people appropriating, like from like Danzig did with Chris Star. I do, I've done a lot of adaptations, like just retelling somebody else's comic as like a as like an exercise. So I told. I did like a 16-page sequence in one of my comics where I retold that issue where Scuzz, um, I think he burns a bunch of bikers alive. Oh, yeah. And he's going to kill himself at the end, but his power burns out. And at the end of it, he's at the top. He's riding a motorcycle naked. Oh, yeah. And he's just like at the top of it. He's like, I can't go. My Scuzz power is just burning out. And at the end of it, he's just like, I'm so disgusting and stupid. I guess I'm stuck here. It's so good. That's, that's like the only image of Scuzz <laughs> I have in my head. This character that they came up with was, wasn't Claremont, was it? No. Who wrote that? Oh, that one, Grunwald. Grunwald, he did write it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. God, forgive me. Um, the, uh, hmm. It was this character, he was like the grunge character, so his power was his skin just and spit like oozed. So his clothes would get holes in them because of his power. He's always making them rot. Yeah. yeah. yeah he was, and he learned he could spit in his hand and form like little scuzz balls and throw them at people. <laughs> and burn They blow up, up. yeah. <laughs> before, before grunge, though. Yeah, before grunge. Mm-hmm. I guess so, yeah. God. And he was, it was drawn... By Paul Ryan, not the politician, who died last year. Oh, my oh, yeah. gosh. 
really sterile kind of style, mm-hmm. very like almost like a Jack Chick comic. Mm-hmm. And he drew Scuzz. Scuzz was supposed to be 16, but he mm-hmm. looked like he was like 25. Yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of reminded me of, um, I was a big Art Adams fan. I liked like long shot and that kind of stuff where you're reading it and you're like, I like the art, great mullet. I don't understand what's happening. Right. But I really enjoy this. That was Ann Nossetti. I never read that, but I love her writing. She did Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, is that, so was that a pretty... Was that like a challenging comic? Yeah, I remember as a kid, yeah. Because was, it was like this netherworld kind of character fighting. I mean, the, the storyline was this creepy guy, Mojo, with crazy legs. And it was kind of a gladiatorial Spartus, Spartacus kind of thing. And then you had Longshot, whose name was Longshot. And he had this blonde mullet. The worst. Straight. Like, the, the worst. Like, yeah. Whatever you can envision the 80s of this is the look, this embodied everything. But he threw, like, blades at everybody. And that was his thing. Yeah. I couldn't tell you anything else, but I know I have all the yeah, issues yeah, yeah. floating around back there. But Didn't he have a girlfriend? He did. I couldn't tell you the name. And then I know, but they eventually married. And then years later, I got back into X-Force. I stopped collecting New Mutants. I'm pretty sure two issues before Cable and Deadpool, because that's how smart I was. Right. The, the stories were going nowhere, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm right, out. Right, I'm right. finished. And then years later, I'm like, oh, that? Oh, fuck me. But then there was this character, Shatterstar, and that was apparently Longshot's kid, and he was an X-Force, and who gives a flying fuck? Right. Where are you from? <laughs> you're not, unlike me and Dwight, you're not from Cleveland? No. I don't know if Dwight's from Cleveland, but... <laughs> no, I, he is from Cleveland. Yes. I didn't know you were from Cleveland. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I grew up seeing, like, all, you know, One Life Crew, Integrity, Essential, all the Ringworm, all the Essentials. Okay. Yeah. The, um, yeah, I grew up in, I grew up in Ohio. Oh, really? So, yeah. Okay. So, oh, you know, not Cleveland. I was in Columbus. Okay, so not and, far. Uh, yeah, not far. And um, I was born in Buffalo, so my whole family was on the East Coast. And then we were this. We went to my dad worked at the university, and I grew up in Columbus. Then I moved to Los Angeles, and then I moved to New York eleven years ago. Okay, we did you go to 12. a lot of like punk and hardcore shows growing up in Ohio? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my favorite band was. Uh, Speaking of the whole, like, Michigan-Ohio connection was Laughing Hyenas. Okay. Which is John Brandon from Negative Approach, and now he's in Easy Action and Negative Approach again. That was my absolutely fav- favorite band. Um, what about you? Well, Integrity. Um, I loved Integrity growing up, but I kind of caught them on, like, the tail end. Like, I graduated high school in, like, 98, and I felt like around, like, 96, 97, they sort of were winding down or like the, remember they did that integrity 2000 record oh yeah and like the in cold blood so i felt like i caught like the kind of the end of it mm-hmm. um but yeah i always loved them yeah i like the stuff without the melnick brothers i like the stuff with the melnick yeah. brothers that um I, I gotta say i i watched there's like an hour and a half hour 15 minute long reunion foot show with the melnick brothers okay that was like last year i think or something I mean, that two, baltimore thing 15 yeah yeah it's really, really watchable. Yeah. These guys like have a good chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. I interviewed Aaron maybe for Vice. I interviewed him for something recently and we had never met. Oh, I think when they, you know, they did that reissue of Systems with the Aaron Melnick mix. Do you remember this? This was about yeah. maybe two years ago. It was called like. Yeah. Cause it, it, it's like it got like a beige cover. Yeah. They, it, they called him like, cause they always called him like a double or, and so he remixed Systems and they released it. I think that label crime scene or whatever um right but um, they, they did it basically just the guitars are louder 
Sounds awesome. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I got into them in 94 when Systems Overload was coming out. I remember buying it in Los Angeles on red plastic red cassette. Yeah, and, yeah. And kind of taking a chance on it, you know, like you would back then. And uh, just being in the grocery store. And I'd listened to it like a bunch of times and I was still just trying to get my money's worth and just it just clicking with me. Yeah. And then I yeah, I bought everything they bought everything that they had. I drew I remember driving up to Corona, California to go see them live. It was a big deal. I think it was like a hour and a half drive. I interviewed them then back then too. I don't know if Dwid remembers. Oh wow. Yeah. For what? Uh Starfucker Zine. I, I used to work at this record store in Menor, Ohio, called Ultrasound, and Dwight was really good friends with the owner, and Dwight was always, like, would come in where he was, like, went to his favorite, you know, he was really into Don Ho and, like, Hawaiian shirts. Like, yeah. if you got these old issues of the Blood Book, it'd be, like, we will trade any of these records for, like, Hawaiian shirts or Don Ho merch. Yeah. And, like, I think people thought it was, like, an ironic joke, and it wasn't, and he would just, like, roll in in, like this Hawaiian shirt and I would be like, I was like 15 or no, I was doing my senior project of high school. I was like 18 and I was like, Oh my God. And I would get him to like sign my records and he would just write stuff like release the fiend and like, you know, also Hawaiian shirts are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Their next record sounds really like it's going to be really cool. Yeah. He'd have like a concept album coming out about, um, about being displaced in time and every song, you visit a different era, and it's connected to murders and the occult. And okay. you can take a journey, like, around the globe and through different, like, atrocities. And uh, it's a high-concept album, and it's very, um, it's like a thesis. It's like a college thesis. Really? In hardcore form. And so he, um, he let me listen to one of the songs, and it was awesome. And he told me the theme and told me the title. He, we had such interesting conversations. I told him I wanted to turn them into a comic, like the Dwid, the Dwid talks. And he was like, yeah, 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 go for it. He's like, and I says, is there anything that's off the record? And I think he said, I don't want to shit talk this person or that person. That's not very Cleveland of him. And he, um, <laughs> he was, you know, I'd, and he's so careful with the words he chooses. Yeah. He might have. If he said that, he had a very specific reason, right. and a very specific way that he wanted to say it, like that he didn't want something to be said. He's like, I don't want to hurt so-and-so or something like that. Yeah. It, um, but for the most part, he was like, yeah, take it, run with it. I just got kind of overwhelmed. I was like, oh, how should I do this comic? I guess I could have us taking a walk around, like sticking a walk and like throwing rocks in ponds and talking. Mm-hmm. But I was fascinated with our talk. I don't know if anybody else would be. Um, he's like a really forthcoming guy. I was thinking today on the way here about how over the years, as like somebody who loves art and loves punk, how I've met like almost everybody that I wanted to meet. Who else? Um, I've met Pettibone. Oh, wow. Uh, he's like, getting an exhibit somewhere. Yeah, just it just opened. Okay. Have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it I yet. Heard, I've had seen some friends posted photos of Where it on it? Instagram. It's new, new museum. Yeah. On, the, oh, on yeah? Bowery. Yeah. It's, it's taken over three stores. Stories. Wow. Really? And with yeah. him, I met him before the internet. I just kind of tracked him down in LA. Yeah. And we became friends. I met Gary Panther because um, he teaches at SVA. So okay. I got access to him the way anybody can. Um, Dwid. You know, I mean, there's a few other heroes I haven't met, but it's kind of cool. It's like I've met, um, I've met enough people to be satisfied with. Yeah, yeah. Who's the one like you wish you could meet if it could be like 
I don't know anymore. I mean, yeah. used to be Rollins because I loved Rollins. And I just was watching his new podcast on the Joe Rogan show. I just listened to I listened to that episode. It was good, right? Yeah, it was really good. It's good. Yeah, his actually his his Marin episode was really interesting too. I mean, he's it's, oh, I did like that, both yeah. those interviews. He tells that story about his roommate. Yeah, and like that whole crazy I saw, thing. I, I saw him do spoken word, and it was him, Mark Marin, and Janine Garofalo. Oh, wow. And it was before the Gramercy was the Gramercy, and it was just like folding chairs in this yeah. torn-down theater. Oh, was, you saw it live? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Because he came by one of the shows we did. and um, Really? Way back when. Okay. I, talked I think to that's him. before my time. It was, it was the most harrowing experience I, I've had with any kind of guest talking to you because I'm from Northern Virginia, and um, I have peripheral friends who know Ian and Fugazi and all that, that whole world black hat they were the whole thing just everybody it's one of the dumb ancestral things and um and i'm by no means cool in the slightest just you seem cool and a, uh, um no you're saying that because you are a cool punk comic guy um, you're, which you're is what saying i that aspire Steven's wearing a motion city soundtrack hoodie yeah that's right <laughs> represent <laughs> um we he rollins was there getting ready to go on and um my boss walked in to prep him for the interview and came out and went, whatever I said was the wrong thing. Oh, he shit. started rubbing his forehead in there. You go in and calm down Henry Rollins, which is a statement <laughs> you don't want to hear in your life. Yeah. And so I went in and like, was like, Hey, Annandale, you know, um, boy, those Georgetown day guys were fuckers, weren't they? And he was like, they were never nice to me. And oh, I was fuck. like, Oh, cool. Wow. We started talking about whatever. And it turned out a band he loved, a friend of mine was in and <laughs> this whole thing. And I walked out being like, don't ever do that again. That is not cool. And then he was fine. And then we talked like beyond it just come out by dinosaur Jr. So we talked about that. And I was like, I've talked to them. We did an interview with nice and, but yeah he's I wonder what the other guy said what did you ever find out what your engineer what the other guy had said no i hadn't i yeah. I, I think what he did was he was a fan and he kind mm. of he kind of geeked the wrong way dude yeah i know i've done that too yeah i went to go see rollins doing a signing with rollins band mach 2 and uh because he, he got rid of everybody in rollins band um and well andrew was gone by that point but chris Chris Haskett and Sim Kane and Melvin, the bassist, and he replaced them with a band who was called uh, Mother Superior. And then they, he kind of did a revamped Rollins band that sounded like Thin Lizzy and is great and nobody's ever heard. It's really good. He did, um, they did, they, they hustled so much. They kind of did four albums worth of materials because they did, materials, they did um, Get Some Go Again, which is pretty good. And nice, which is also pretty good. A lot of good tracks on it. But then they did like a bunch of albums, songs they left off of those albums, which are killer. So he has an album called Yellow Blues and an album called Nicer Shade of Red. And then they also did a live album called Clockwork Orange Stage. And in interviews, he's like, I'm, I was done with music one day because I evolved and not, not that I evolved and there's anything wrong with music. He's like, I just ate the feast, like he said in the interview, and I came to the end of it. But I kind of think that he his heart was a little bit broken, that nobody gave a shit about their al- those albums. I just played this one song called um, Frozen Man for my friend in New Orleans. And I'm like, check out the song. What do you think? And she has great taste in music. And she's like, I love this. And it's weird. It's really weird. It's really good. Um, what years are we talking about? 2002. And uh, 
it's like you just can't gauge like what not to like like I, I heard this quote recently. I was watching a um a roast and Tom Arnold was on there and everybody's giving him shit for being Tom Arnold and they're like, Oh Tom Arnold, you suck and you're not funny. He goes, No, I'm not, but I'm the most famous person on here. But that's how it works. He goes, The f- more fame, the less funny you are. He's like, if Carrot Top walked in here, he'd be funny. He'd be more famous than anybody else here. And I have some of the funniest people in the world. That's how those albums are. That's not a mark of quality that nobody knows who they are. They're actually really fucking good. So anyways, I went to go see him do a signing when he's promoting Rollins Band Mach 2. And I had a show up. It might have been 99 or 2000. And I had a card for a painting show I had up and I wanted to give it to him. And I'd actually met him years before, did the same thing. I gave him a flyer, like 89. I had a gut when he came through Columbus and he was really nice. He was just like, your art looks cool. I'll come to this. And he didn't come, but he said he would. And it was, he was super sincere and nice. And, um, I told, and I told him I had a gushing moment. I was like, I love your, I got your albums are like the only thing I care about or something like that. And he, uh, was really sweet and he um then i think he's changed a lot over the years and he basically his relationship with fans and the outside world has changed he's not i've heard i've read shit where he said he's described all these possible interactions with fans and he's like there's no good outcome he's like lists all these he listed like 80 different things that people have done coming up to him and saying i just want you to know i've listened to your shit and i've passed it on to my children and he's just like i just want to be left alone so i went to the signing and i gave him the card and first of all i was staring at him the wrong way like for i was coming into tower and this was like 18 years ago and the light was cat was above him and i could see how thin is i'm sorry if he's hearing this i don't need to shit on him but there's not his hair was really thin like mine is now and i was just kind of stunned for a minute because yeah, I was like, oh, Rollins is getting old. And I was like, you know, it goes fast. And uh, I remember I was just looking at him and I think he just caught my eye and he thought that I was just looking at him like a weird, in a weird confrontational way. And he just pinned me with his eyes and started glaring at me until I kind of cast my eyes away. And when I went up to him, I gave him the card and he was still pissed off. And so it's like with your manager. I don't know what that guy said that was wrong. It was all really benign, Mm -hmm. but he took it the wrong way. And I was like, hey, man, congratulations on the new album. I wanted to give you this card. I thought that he took my flyer in 89 and it was like scrawled, you know, it was scrawled on a photocopy. And he was like, this is so good. And I gave him this really nice card. It was like a reproduction of a painting that, you know, I was, it was pretty legit. (laughs) And he took it and like, kind of was like thanks and threw it underneath his folding chair and then the guys and the guys in the band were like you got any more of the cards oh you know they're just trying to be nice to me they're not going to come to the show right, either right. but they were really cool <laughs> and they were and he was like really brusque so he'd be the top of the list i'd love to have a good conversation yeah. with that guy i don't think it's going to happen though. well he has those two hundred thousand dollar speakers what did you listen to that on that rogan one they talk about what he does every night and yeah. he's like yeah you know what i'm talking about he was like, he's like, I just listen to records every night. Like last night I listened to five records and like seven, seven inches. And he's like, and I play them on my turntable and I have these speakers and they're called something insane. And they're like bigger than me. And they're like 200 grand. And he's like, and I just sit in my living room and listen to records. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. Did he, I, I did, I got like halfway through the 
podcast, and then I'm going to listen to the rest of it this, it's this week. It's good. It's oh, good. It's interesting. I learned a lot about him. Who are your, um, like, when did you start drawing? Oh, like, I always drew. Just, you don't remember not drawing? That's a, yeah, that's a good way to put it, yeah. Um, I had, like, I mean, I've had ups and downs with getting my whole shtick together with doing mm-hmm. comics. Uh, I was, I, like, had a long period in my 20s. I'm, like, 46 now. I had a long period in my 20s where I was doing paintings, and that, I, I kind of, I kind of forgot how to do comics as I learned a different type of making art. Uh, like I did comics for a while when I got out of high school and I was really into it. My parents didn't want me to do comics. So like when I was in fifth grade, I got penalized for getting bad grades and that my parents told me I couldn't do comics anymore and they never really lifted it because I <laughs> like, never got my grades up really. I was always screwing up in school. So by the time I was like 16, I was like, I think maybe I can, you know, do comics without getting a shoe thrown at me. So I started doing them again and I had all this anger because I love, you know, they my, they just succeeded in making me more obsessed with them. So I had a period from when I was 16, 17, 18 where I'm like, I'm going to do these comics that I've wanted to do all this time. And I started doing, you know, all kinds of weirdo comics. Um, and I was, you know, I saw underground, I saw... Art Spiegelman and I saw Mark yeah. Bayer and who did Agony and Amy and Jordan and he was that was those are very out there comics and something got into my head when I went to art school I went to art school for a year when I was eighteen and I said to myself I'm not going to lose doing comics no matter what they say and I'm going to have teachers who look down on comics and somehow it became like don't think of the color orange, like the way more I thought about it, it ended up happening. So I stopped doing comics for some reason. I was like, I started, it was like 19, 20, and I kept on trying to do comics. Like I'd successfully done eight pagers and 10 pagers uh, all the time I got out of high school, but then somehow I lost it and I kept on doing comics and saying it's not really worth it. And then just getting really ADD on the whole thing. So flash forward, I had a bunch of different, you know, kind of struggled to get back on track. I started painting a lot. I did a lot of paintings. I lived in like a guest house for like 10 years in LA, just kind of sleeping on top of like huge stacks of drawings. Trying Whereabouts to be in LA? In uh, close to Marina Del Rey. Okay. Yeah. And I... Um, far enough away. What's that? It's far enough away from everything, but still accessible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was right, right around the corner from Venice High yep. School. Mm-hmm. and um on washington boulevard and um so i was like almost sleeping on these like big big scrolly drawings and uh trying to be like pettybone and just like i'm going to do big single images mm-hmm. but i kept on thinking about comics and uh as i got closer to being 30 that's where you start having those moments where you start asking yourself what you really want to do and um i I was actually, I used to go to movies by myself all the time in LA. And I was at this movie called Without Limits about Prefontaine, the runner. Oh, right. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. It was directed by somebody. There were two Prefontaine movies. There's one with Jared Leto, right? It's not that one. Yeah. So one with Ricky Schroeder. No, no. Uh, Didn't he do one? Didn't he? No, it's Billy Crudup. Yes. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I get them confused all the time. It was directed by. It's directed by. Uh, the guy who did Hoop Dreams? No, it was directed by a guy who did Graystroke, Legend of Tarzan, but that's not notable. He was 
he had written something really important. You mean the Christopher Lambert, Grace Trapp, Legend of Tar- yeah. Tarzan? Yeah, I think this guy directed that. The British was, guy, formerly known for being Highlander, a Scottish Highlander. Yeah. <laughs> but he was French. <laughs> yeah, it didn't have enough, like, it didn't have, like, enough Tarzan action in it. Yeah. And that was, like, 86, and then this guy Bo came Derek back. Bo Derek in that? What's that? Bo Derek in that one, Tarzan? Grace Trapp. A lot of boobs in that. There was well, a Marvel comic version of it. Well, wasn't Bo Derek and I'm not sure, but it was like 12 years later and he was doing another movie. He wrote something, he wrote, might've written Chinatown, this guy. He's written something really important hmm. and he directed this movie and there's this, basically the movie is about Billy Crudup as Prefontaine having a coach who's trying to sit on him and get him to be a more powerful runner and he doesn't know he's going to die, of course. And there's a scene in the movie where he's like, I, they keep on getting me, trying to get me to strategize, and they keep on telling me like not to go full out. He's like to pace myself and then burst ahead at the end. And he's like, that's not running. He's like, you. He's like, I need to run my heart out every inch of that race, or else it's bullshit and it's a lie. And he's like, it went against it. And I'm watching this movie, and the weird thing is, it was actually by myself in the theater. There was like one other person, the like 10 o'clock show at the promenade in LA. And I had this moment. I used to love movies and going to them by myself was like, you know, it was like a form of like a place where I cleared my thoughts and I was watching this movie and I'm like, why is this getting to me so much? And I'm like, what is it in me that I want to go full out on? And I was 29 years old or whatever it was. And I was like, sitting there and I'm like, I don't want to be this person who's not doing shit. And it was about comics. I was like, I got out of the movie and I'm like, well, that's the thing I want to do. I'm doing paintings, which is fine, but I really want to do comics. So, uh, I went, but I couldn't figure out how to get back on them. Comics, you keep on think, you think it's just like, if you believe in yourself, you'll do it. Mm -hmm. And it's not that simple. Um, for some people, they figure it out on their own. I needed to go back to school. So that started me back collecting credits. I went to community college and got credits. And then I got enrolled back in school. And then I moved to New York and I went to SVA. My brother, who's um, Sam Bear, who's doing all-time comics with me, he paid for my school. He's a saint. And he, um, my brother, my brother's like, he's like a director in Hollywood. So he, um, you know, he, he is made it. it is he like outside. a music video? Yeah, okay. he did. Okay, gotcha. He's like real famous. He did like the Smells Like Teen Spirit video. Right, right. And, and like, um, he did, and, he did, um, My Chem. You did My Chemical Romance? Yeah, he did, uh, the one where they're all on fire that he almost killed everybody. What's what? Oh, one? was that, that was from a movie, wasn't it's it? This one where like Bob was like burned and. Yeah, I think that was for Holy shit. some big movie. Your brother's insane. My yeah. brother did something where everybody almost died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like if you look at if you look at look at the video for which one? Uh, it's the it's the last song. On, was on it my a Black Queen Parade. cover or no? No, I mean that. Well, <laughs> I wasn't making a joke. No, <laughs> it is kind of weird. We both have like one kind last. of recognizable siblings too. Yeah, we're getting to ask... a lot of a lot of uh, parallels here. Josh. Yeah, hold on. You know, yeah, I wanted on? to ask. I was thinking about when we're building up to this, Black if like Parade. we would be have a lot. Have you like had people? basically like trying to get like yes. your, yeah yeah yes oh, the creepiest one which is probably one you don't get is like hey i want to date your sister can you like send this to her and it's like dude are you serious right <laughs> like definitely not 
that that's not too uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. He did well, the Black Parade. But yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot of people, because I'm probably like you, like I'm, I'm very accessible. Like it's, you just, what's Jonah Bear's email? So I feel like it's really easy to track me down and people are like, oh, this is like one step away. Famous last words. That's one where they're did, all on fire. I didn't, uh, <laughs> there I, didn't I don't think I told anybody the whole time I was in New York for 10 years. Really? Because yeah, I got a belly full of it in Los Angeles. Yeah. I remember, sure. I remember one time having, being on a set and somebody was telling me about, it was like Burning Man, but it wasn't. And it sounded really good. I mean, I I loved acid, so I was like, I uh, was I wanted to. Uh, this guy would go to like a Burning Man like thing, and it was like '96, so I hadn't heard a lot about it. And I was like, oh man, that sounds really cool. Next time you go, why don't you like call me? He's like describing it, like people doing this weird thing in the desert. And the guy called me and was like, I'll I'll do that. He's like, I, we're going to like be going up to this thing in the desert. He's like, and you can come, but I want you to guarantee me you'll get me some work with your brother. He was like, I'd met him yeah, like, yeah. on my brother's sets. And I'm like, that's really un- that's really uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm like, wow, I thought we were, you know, I, I thought we were going to be friends. <laughs> I thought like... Um, that sucks. Uh, and, yeah, I certainly didn't do that for him. Um, no. And I had plenty of those interactions. In Los I'm Angeles. sure. And I would... I said one question because I would it would drive me crazy if I went on a podcast and just asking me stuff about my sister. But mm. for you, I mean... No, that's okay. What was it... When when that smells like Teen Spirit video came out, was he, was your brother like ah, I directed a video for this band, or was it like a like because today I guess was would have been Kirk Cobain's fiftieth birthday, yeah. So I was, he's been on my mind today, and so it's weird you mentioned that because Sam knew that he had done that he had done something that was going to give him a lot of opportunities, and um, you know he's still the same person, and there's a weird I'm, I think there's some sort of um, what's that phrase. Um, I think there's um, probably like a, I can't think of the right phrase, but like there's a lack of sync. Like he knows that he's actually done something which is like really like everybody is seeing it all. Like millions and millions of eyes are on it, and uh, at the same time, he's still like just uh, a guy, you know? Right, like, right, right. Lives in an apartment and drives a car. But um, things started moving pretty quickly. But it isn't like everything fell into his lap immediately after that. Like the videos he did, he didn't go from doing like Nirvana to doing who else was really huge in 92. Um, Green Day? or No, that, that was way before that. That was way before that, yeah. He, no, Green Day was 94. Yeah, 94. He, yeah. he got like, like right after Smells Like Teen Spirit, he got like a bunch of jobs directing like a bunch of bands who like pill and okay. like the Ramones and like bands who um, ha- like their companies were kind of like, we own the contract, you know, we have contract with these guys. Let's finally the time for their time has come, but Pill wasn't doing their best work. Pill right. had just done the Happy album, I think, and maybe one after it. And it isn't like uh, it was 86 or something when they, you know, and um, he uh, had to struggle, I think, to really get on top. Like yeah. He had an interesting thing happen where uh, actually like after Kurt died, um, Courtney Love called him and he had been, you know, doing OK like jobs, but like not like every like he wasn't getting number one bands like coming to him. And Hole was became such a big number one band and Courtney wanted to have like that kind of continuity from Nirvana to him. And 
after that, he like really took the ball and ran with it. So he like went from one like really high level band to another. That's what I and I saw all that happen in front of me because he moved me out to LA. He was like I was like living in Ohio and kind of I dropped out of school. I was like living in an apartment um, and like working like really weird jobs. I you know just like nowhere like um, jobs. I worked as like a phone psychic for a while. And hold I, up, hold, yeah, <laughs> that's a, there's a lot of stories from that. I was living with, I, I was trying to they have a phone to save money. The last winter I was there, I tried to see if I could make it a winter without heat. And that was really dumb. And, um, my heating bill, I had $600 to the heating company and I just decided not to pay it. I think I'd read an interview with like a punk band where they're like, we lived in a freezing squat for a winter. I was like, oh, I'll do that. And that was, uh. And he was like, you know, I see you going nowhere. And he's like, why don't you come out and like stay with me in LA? Which I don't even think I understood at the time how few how few brothers would have done that for somebody. That is really huge. Yeah. yeah. Back to the psychic thing. So um, <laughs> how does one... Do you know what Steven's going to ask? No. Oh, yeah. No. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, that's a good one. Nah. <laughs> Sorry. But how did... Really like, how did... Was... was was it an ad you saw yeah, in a magazine? No. I was in a, uh, I used to eat. Another thing I did to save money is I would eat at the Krishna Temple in Columbus. You Just, are not the first person on this podcast. A lot of guests podcast. on this podcast. <laughs> for like, no, a lot of like the old like New York hardcore guys, like the Gorilla Biscuit, Tooth of the Day, all those guys all went. Where am I going to find free vegan food? Yeah. It was so good. The one in Columbus was so good. And I under, like the one in the LA was was disgusting and the food wasn't free it was real the one in columbus they actually made really good food so i just you just defined los angeles (laughs) the place that was supposed to have free food for people who need it it was bad and cost money yeah it cost money (laughs) they had like a really shitty um i don't think it was all you can eat they had like a salad bar layout it was pretty cheap but it was gross it was like really greasy and the christian and Whatever. So the Christian <laughs> Temple in Columbus, I would go there, and they, um, I was there one night, and there were these two girls who were either devotees or they were kind of in, half in, half out, and they told me they were interested in the the religion, but were kind of like practitioners, like who lived in an apartment somewhere. I don't know. And they told me they live. I told me I needed a job, and they go, "Well, we work at this psychic place." And I'm like, "Oh, that sounds really interesting, but I don't know how to be a psychic." And I mean, I don't know how to. Uh, I wouldn't know how to do that. And they go, "You don't know. You don't need to know anything." I go, "That doesn't make sense." And they go, "No, you can. If you don't have any ability, you can um, do the runes, or you can throw something. You can throw. Uh, there's oh. things you." Yeah, you can throw shit or you can do tarot cards. And I'm like, well, I've heard of tarot cards. And they go, you can learn how to do it for the job. Go in, tell them you don't know how to do this, but that you'll learn and you can get hired. We'll recommend you. So I went to this place and it was called Cabrina's Psychic Answer Answer Service. And uh, 1-900 number. And I got the job. I bought a tarot deck for like, I think it was like 27 bucks. And I read the instructions and my first call was horrible. I was like reading the cards, you know, I was reading the instructions like as I was reading the cards and this poor person just put up with me. I'm like, you have the 19 of wands and that means flip, 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 you know. And then I read the the definition and eventually as I memorized more of the cards, I started to just go with it. And I would get people, at first it was mostly, 
kind of um, housewives up in the middle of the night from the Rust Belt, like, calling me. And uh, they would, like, be really encouraging. I'm, you know, I'm just jabbering at them. And they're like, uh-huh, yeah, right, and as I'm talking. And then when there's a break, they'd be like, that's interesting. And eventually the algorithm changed. I started getting all these truck, all these men, all these truck drivers. And those are, that's really hard to do. It's like those guys would just be dead silent, like a rock. And you have to say breaker, breaker after every card. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is fascinating. Yeah. Did you ever graduate to runes or? No, what are those? I don't know. Didn't you say that? That's something you throw, I guess. I, I don't know. know. No, the, see, here's the, the thing. Bones the bones say you need gas. The I would be there trying to keep my head above water and trying to do these these sessions and uh I'd be listening to some of the other psychics in the other booths. There were a couple of them that were really good. There was one kid who was he he seemed like and looked kind of like Professor X from the X-Men. Because he was something was bald in a wheelchair. He something was messed up with his legs. He had like braces on his, on his legs. Oh shit! And he was he'd sit down in a chair. And I remember one time you just listen to him. And I'd be like, "How is he doing this?" There was one time he was like, "Who's the small child in the in the um, on the connection on the what do you call it the um, extension in the living room?" Like you know, and I, I've thought about it since, and maybe he heard the kid making sound or something. But he seemed to always be saying shit like that. Somebody told me once that they gave him a ride home from work and he goes, he turns to them and goes, you're going to get all green lights on the way home. And they did. They were like, zim, 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 zim. Every light like turned green like right before they hit it. <laughs> Professor X. <laughs> what does that face mean, Stephen? It's just like, it's, you know, um, people like Cole reading, I'm fascinated by that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Where, um, if you watch the people who are really good at it yeah, and who do the tricks or like what's in your purse and like the person's on stage blindfolded can tell you everything what's going on. Like it's the equivalent of it's what the act is versus someone like Jonathan Edwards who's taking your money to go to do the same thing, but pretend it's like a dead relative. You know what I mean? Going at people just buy into it left and right because you're looking for any kind of answer you can fucking have to have any right. kind of connection. That's the whole point. Like I'm more fascinated with a housewife going just talking to somebody. I than, know, right? You know, yeah. Like that that appeals to me is like I got I need something. I'll pay a dollar a minute just to have someone listen to me or <laughs> talk to someone who's not yelling. Yeah, I remember one time talking to somebody who was basically being pushed out the door of some situation where she's like, she had a kid and she was like, I'm going to be homeless, so what should I do? And she was making a revenge 1-900 call. Like her, somebody was a relative who wasn't sticking, wasn't backing her anymore or a boyfriend or something was like, you got to get out. And she was like, I'm going to, I'm going to charge a bunch of 1-900 calls to this person's phone line. And um... Another time, another very memorable call, call. Remember, I was like 20, maybe 22, 23 when I was doing this. I got a call and this woman, basically, I kept on asking questions. I'm like, I see a young person, right? I got the page of wands. I have a young person and that's next to whatever, you know, there's a stone or a, a tower crumbling. So that could be mean, mean illness. And they're like, yeah, yeah, there's an illness. And I go, oh, and I started throwing these really, really, really long, like long, long readings, like throwing every card in the deck to try to see the future was. 
and just I kept on getting like kind of because I'd play along with the cards. Didn't matter that I'm you know I'm uh, I was just doing this because I needed a job. Um, I was playing along with it and to give myself content to say I was reading along with the cards. So I'm reading along and reading along and saying oh, I see this and this and this. And the call was going on and on, and the person wanted an answer. But I ended up getting out of her that she was calling for somebody in her family who was sick and that they were had kind of relapsed or something. I can't remember. There's a bunch of information I got from her. And finally, I just didn't know what to say anymore. So I go, I, the cards tell me they're going to be, they're going to recover. <laughs> and then I go, everything's going to be, she's like, really? I go, yeah, they're going to be fine. They're going to recover. They're going to be healthy. And she's like, you are so wrong. You have no idea how wrong you are. And I was like, um, I'm sorry. And she's like, you're so wrong. You're just so wrong. And then she hung up on me. So, you know, it could have been obviously the person that something is not curable. It was super chilling. So it's 20, 20 years later and I remember it clear as day. Oh, yeah. I remember the whole thing. Wow. It's bonkers. Mm-hmm. Wow. So when you left, did you have to give two weeks or they just assumed? <laughs> uh, I think they went out of business. Shocker. Well, nobody remembers Cabrina's psychic answer line. I mean, no. No one could have predicted it. You know what? <laughs> there were two. I think my check said Universal Nexus on them. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when, when you said earlier sort of um, this idea that art is sort of everyone sort of stealing in one way or another... I mean, I feel like that is true, but I also feel like authenticity is such a big thing in art and sort of in music too. I mean, how do you, how do you kind of come at things? I mean, is that, is that like a conscious thing or do you feel like your influences kind of more seep into your work or are you like, oh, this is too much like this thing or do you embrace it? All all the above. I mean, you know, back in the old days, like a comic book artist especially would do apprenticeships, you know, they would... All kind, there's all kinds of examples through history. You find that um, a, a big artist, uh, you guys were mentioning before how, um, uh, who's the actor who came up through Mr. Rogers as a PA? Oh, Michael Keaton. M- Michael Keaton. Mm. These successful creators create a big umbrella organization and they, then they can train young artists. So you have examples in history where like the guy, Dick... Um, What's his name? The guy who took over Gasoline Alley from Frank King, he was like a protege of Chester Gould who did Dick Tracy. And, um, you know, you have uh, people who are people's assistants and then they learn how to draw in that artist's style and then they branch out. And I always wanted to Here's what I want to delve in with you because you say comics a lot, which I love you for. Oh, yeah, yeah. People say graphic graphic novel, I just want to spit. Of course. but you say comics, but you a lot of your work is comic strip derivative. Like you just don't throw out Gasoline Alley. Oh, I you love know Gasoline what I mean? Alley. Sure, sure. Because Gasoline Alley ran for what fifty years. It's got to still be running. It's insane how long yeah. this book has been going. Uh, uh, really? I'm going to say it goes back to the late twenties. Yeah, it's yeah. bonkers. So like, it must be coming up on the hundredth anniversary. It's insane. I saw you know what Noah Van Skyver posted a recent one a couple years ago. Yeah. It was hor- well, it was horrible, of course. And he was like, "Look, there's a." Furby in this or something. It's like an atrocity. <laughs> There's, yeah. but hey, was, go ahead. I mean, well, it's not like Doonesbury or Funky Winkerman, where it's the same person. It's like it's a good example, it's right? Like, Funky Winkerman's amazing, but it's um, is it still called Funky Winkerman? Yeah, oh, yeah, Furby Winkerman. I think Furby Winkerman. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's gotten worse. Like, like the football player now has like 
he's memory problems and everything because he played football in high school right and it hit him all that kind of stuff they, they did a, they did a time jump forward at some point i think so yeah they totally did yeah but like you i see a lot of your stuff you have a lot of nancy in here a lot of garfield in there a lot of popeye mm-hmm. you know and people don't realize like the sequential storylines of popeye went for years like you could follow back like one of the first my first introductions of comics is my dad got me this smithsonian book of like comic book comics yeah, yeah. and it had tons of i didn't know who the hell nancy was it had captain marvel the original in there original mad magazine um little lulu you know that kind of stuff it's have a black cover yeah i have that I, yeah, yeah i know that book i remember that book as a child like just like just devouring we're the same age and it was oh, cool. um uh when are you 70 i'm guessing 1970 <laughs> i'm younger so, they said I was 70. Yeah, I was born in 70. Exactly. Yeah, see? Math skills. Yeah. But I didn't know anything about like comic strips outside of Snoopy or Kathy mm-hmm. as a child. And when you go back and look at the storylines just ran, like, you know, if you look at like the Phantom, like still going, well, uh, Lee Falk, you know what I mean? Like or right. whoever is writing under that. Prince Valiant, that kind of stuff. Right. So it was it wasn't a collected edition, but people forget that's how comics started. It was comic strips put in a book. MC Gaines. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's where the fucking name comes from. Famous Funnies was the first comic, and it was Mm -hmm. a collection of reprints. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whole thing. And then they're like, why don't we just put a whole bunch in there? But your work seems very, to me, a lot of, um, seems like you like daily strips. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I'm a student of that stuff, and I think people our age, we all... We love comics. You did get exposed to all the same. There, the, like now, there's a million collections. You can get old classic comic collections, old reprints. You can go to the stores and get. It's like going to, uh, like Tower Video. You could get reprints from comics all over history. But in the seventies and eighties, there's a handful. There's like ten books out. There's a big Annie reprint book. Mm-hmm. There was the collected cases of Dick Tracy. Mm-hmm. There was a Smithsonian book. There was. The Great Comic Book Heroes by Pfeiffer. Um, there was, oh. oh, these are all, so I'd see these again and again. And my dad worked at a library at the Ohio State University. And when I visited him at work, I would go to the their little puny comic section and I would, he Buck Rogers too. I would yeah. get the Buck Rogers collection. And he'd let me take it home sometimes. And I must have read those books over and over again. So those were as much of a part of, yeah, of my understanding of comics as anything. Because your work seems to be, from what I've gleaned here, since you kindly brought a stack, mm-hmm. um, you kind of take those styles and put them in and add a little, um, what's the word, tawdrier element? Would that, uh-huh. be, sure. would that be a good term? Especially a suspect device, yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of cocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. And I mean, I mean, I loved Popeye back in, like I remember just being, just loving reading anything about Sea Hag, you know? Like it just, that always just kind of creeped me out and I like, liked it. But you oh. know, when I see a picture of, um, uh, somebody with a cock, but it's Odie's head from Garfield, like I'm in, I'm sold. I'm yeah. down with your work. Yeah. That's, um, that was a collection I did. Um, I teach comics too. That's how I basically make a living now. And I, uh, I teach kids and I teach adults. I work at the Parsons. I work at the 92nd street. Y. I work at a town, a place caught uptown stories um it's really cool i do a lot of private lessons and i came up with one of my homework assignments was something i stumbled upon where i asked people to i'd hand people two unrelated comic frames and i'd be like this kicks it off and this ends it 
or more likely I'd give them 20 frames, I'd say pick two and make a narrative where you cut these out and you paste them into a new narrative. So in the first frame, you have, you know, Annie, Nancy's walking in like, look, I, I found this goldfish. And the last frame is, you know, um, um, Popeye is like slamming Bluto's head against the wall. So what, you know, if I hand that to you, what story do you make up that somehow connects them? You know, if somebody's like, oh, well, your goldfish needs a miracle grow and they put it on the miracle, the fish and the fish grows into Bluto. And then Popeye, they're like, I have this Popeye robot in the closet just for this emergency. And he comes out and punches Bluto and you have a comic. So it gives people a chance to draw. And I'd give this to my students and it's, you know, it's a little bit like an improv and it would, meanwhile, I would show them how to do how to do perspectives in the rooms and how to make the shadows look like they're going underneath characters' feet and why they pattern like the people's outfits in a certain way and why how they do the hair and all and they've learned a ton about doing comics. So it that way that came off really well. And then I got into the idea of doing it as a collection. So I started inviting all my cartoonist friends and all those all the work in those books, except for the covers, which I paid for, was done for free. People were like, yeah, I'd, I'd love an opportunity to do something cool. I don't care about the money. So those are like collections where at that time I would take nine months and I'd mail people packets of comic frames and say, do what you will and send this to me when you're done. And I'd end up with this beautiful collection of, of art that's all, and that's Suspect Device. I think uh, I picked the name. I mean, I picked the name after the song, but also because it's a device, like a device that you're using to generate comics. And suspect because it goes back to the question of appropriation. Appropriation sure. is there's something a little bit um, questionable about it, you know. So all my stuff is kind. In the past, I've always, we were talking about like why how to use appropriation. Back in the day, you have an apprenticeship, and that's how you learn. When you start drawing your own Popeye strip, you're forming, you're doing an apprenticeship in a way. And you start to learn how E.C. Seeger or who any of his, any of the people who came after him did what they did and why they did it. So uh, then I started to also do just full on copies of people's comics, but in my own style. So uh, I would take like that comic there, you have ROM. That's actually my version of an early ROM comic, the brown, yeah, the brown cover. And Ron uh, just came back. Yeah. I don't think it did so well. Stupid fucking fingers on ROM. They gave him fingers. But the the coolest thing that came out of that I've is got that, him. God damn it. I've <laughs> got the old ROM issues. I even have the one where the, they, they did a misprint on the annual where it's like one had red and one was orange and still no one cares. <laughs> but I have them. Well, they, they had the coolest thing that came out of ROM is they got Al Milgram, who was did so many covers for ROM and it might have even been an editor. For ROM, he. Uh, they got him to do a cover, and it's really nice. And he did an homage to a Jack Kirby cover that he had inked back in the seventies, where the Iron—I'm sorry—Iron Man, a Jack Kirby Iron Man cover, where Iron Man is floating through space, and there's this vast solar system behind him, and it's like one of the iconic Kirby covers. And uh, Milgram inked it, and Milgram is on my new series, All Time Comics, which. Um, I got, but that's the whole, the line that I have coming out next involves a mashup of younger cartoonists and artists like uh, Ben Mara, who did One Man War on Terror from Fantagraphics, Noah Van Skyver, who's like, like one of the only 
newbie cartoonist who gets fan letters from R. Crumb. And I also got Herb Trimpey who, oh, wow. to do his last comic. And that's coming out next month. Holy crap. And, and I got Al Milgram, who was willing to work with us. And um, they, I got all these people together, and I wrote the comics, and I have a superhero line. It's coming out for Fantagraphics. What's a superhero? It's called, well, it was four superheroes. It's uh, all-time comics, mm-hmm. which is like a, and it's got four characters. One is called Crime Destroyer, who's like a, a uh, Vietnam vet comes back and finds his family slaughtered and declares war on crime. That old chestnut. That old chestnut. And then we have um, Bullwhip, who's like a woman with like a cat suit and whip. And she like has a vil- has a bunch of crazy dis- you know villains mm. like the misogynist and time vampire. And we're we had them all. All the comics are hand lettered. They're all, uh, wow. there's no, we tried to, I mean, they're computer colored, but we didn't go for like flare lenses and all these newbie effects that people have where they're doing like volumetric coloring of flat colors. We got a paper, which is close to newsprint as you can have. And, um, it's kind of, it's the first superhero line technically that Fantagraphics has done, though you could basically say that death ray by Daniel Klaus was a, was a superhero. I just um, read that like two weeks ago. So good. It's so good, man. He really just lets your brain fill in a lot. He's yeah. so he's such an artist. It's such a great comic. Yeah. You read Death Ray? No. Yeah, I, I mean, this is your whole... This is if... Um, it's, name, it's, it's like if Todd Solans did comics. Really? Totally. Like, yeah. Sounds very depressing. Uh, dude, it is, but yeah. it's good. Yeah. yeah. You know? Oh, yeah, he's great. Okay, yeah. I'll check yeah. it out. I never spun off into, like, the alt world. I stayed specifically tights and everything, and then, like, <laughs> stories for me just... They like. I think it was probably the other Cleveland fan. Oh, that guy Bendis was probably the one. Like, I love I Bendis. Spend. Yeah, yeah. Not everything he's done. I think he really. Like, I hear a lot of people. I guess it's. I don't know if it's because he's successful or because he's doing a lot of bad work at this point. But I, I just see people taking shots at him. Is yeah. that the dude I did that TED talk with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a TED yeah. talk in Cleveland about three or four years ago, and he was like the main speaker. Mm. Yeah. How was he? I thought it was good. It was like. It was about like the history of comics, so it was like a very academic. So you probably actually would have been really into it. I felt like it was like a little bit hard for me to follow along, huh. um, but it, it was interesting. His early shit, like when his style of taking pictures and inking them afterwards, was yeah. I really dug that. Yeah, yeah, and I, and it was one of the one of the he was one of the last people I bought off the rack because I was like, that looks cool. I don't know what the hell that is, and it was the Goldfish series. Cool, yeah. And I was like, this is fucking great. <laughs> yeah, yeah I cut, a, cut outs for off of, uh, it was Caliber Press put it out. Have you ever heard of this? Do you ever hear this website, iFanboy? Not really. Yeah, our friend Ron did that, and he kind of introduced us to that, but he worked at, he worked at a comic company. He, looked he, at, he worked at Image. He worked he at Image. financial okay. guy at Image But he had this while. big comic kind of fan site, I think. I don't know a lot. This is Kirkman, more Stevens. who does Walking Dead and Invincible and all that stuff from Image, uh, I've interviewed him a couple times and he is on the same boat of anyone who says graphic novels is a fucker he's this he's that guy too he's like fuck that it's a comic shut up yeah i was like can i hug you it actually did it it sucks because you know the term is like a little bit suspect it's people can call what they want it does create some weird conversations including people who kind of mansplain what comic what a graphic novel is to you you ask them if you like comics and i'm like (laughs) Well, I like graphic novels, um, <laughs> but it, it's caused- I also hate you right now and you're paying for lunch. That's what I would say. It's caused me problems before because like at my school, 
One of the schools I work for, I insisted that my courses be called comic book courses. So what happens is the other teacher will be like, oh, I want to pitch a class, graphic novels for adults. And I'm like, but now I'm going to get all of the people who think that comic books are like all the people who I want to attract the, that audience who are doing stuff, which, you know, is literary or is about important issues. Now they're going to go to the other guy's class. So now I'm forced to use the term or else I'm only going to get people who want to see shit blow up. And that's the only type of student I'm going to get. And mainstream superhero fans are not all of them. Some of them are wonderful. I would say there's a 50-50 ratio where they are the most closed-minded students I could, I've ever possibly had. I would, yeah. It, it, it's weird because you, you would think it'd be more liberal than it is. And you talk to some of the folks and they're very it's, – it's like I got in this big argument with um, a very young person who was just so against Michael B. Jordan playing Johnny Storm. Oh. And I went, but mm-hmm. Why? He's like, well, it goes against. And I went, it goes against the guy who made him a white guy. Wait, who gives a shit? It's not real. Right. It's not real. I've had the same argument with, with um, Doctor Who fans. They're like, well, it can't be a woman. I'm like, why the fuck not? It's not real. Shut up. Right. You know? They're like, well, it fits the narrative. What narrative? It sounds like such a boring conversation. It's, it, and, and, I, and, and then and I just like, I can't. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. Yeah, I used used to work at a comic book store. I love comics. I'm like one of those people who, you know, I I borrowed Swamp Thing number 50 from a kid in my English class and fucking read it and I couldn't believe how good it was. And those people would come to the store, had the same experiences and they would start talking about comics and they were just, they were into all of the... uh, they weren't. They weren't into talking about it in the same way that I was. Um, it's just weird. I remember in high school, some guy going, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure Conan, Conan the Barbarian, is stronger than the Thing." And I went, "Yeah, I don't even know what to say to you." <laughs> what the Cause, fuck? Because this person is two different things, and also you're n- <laughs> fuck off. I didn't like you anyway. Wow. That's a dumb comment. That's exactly what you said. I was like, this is a stupid thing to talk about. Right, right. I guess I, I never thought about that because I feel like I have a lot of nerdy conversations about music, but I guess the bands really exist. They're real. Right. Yeah, so it's like... When people start talking about characters as if they're real, like I'll have a conversation about <laughs> writers and styles. Yeah. I like writers, uh, no offense, but I like writers more than artists. That's where I go for. <laughs> and um, if the art is awesome, bonus like if i dig that cool if it's not if the story's good even better that's you know exactly I mean? i've never had a dumb conversation about a writer where somebody's like written like five books and that person are both both share that you know you don't talk about steinbeck or jd salinger and be like i remember when holden caulfield got punched out that the bartender that pimp was a badass mm-hmm. That's not a conversation I want to have. But with comic books, it often is. Mm-hmm. Then you meet some people who are like, oh, you know, they'll talk about the way that Jack Kirby was ripped off or human stuff that's on a human scale that's about, you know, tragedies that happened around the scene. That shit I could talk about all mm-hmm. day. Then you just meet other people. It's just, um, yeah, it's just shitty. Yeah, I'll talk about creator rights and ownership all the time. And the fact that Marvel, who I still read, Tow that line immediately, like, yeah, no, we own it. Right. And we don't and we won't change that. Sorry. Right. And and, and I think that's that's fascinating. Whereas DC is like, yeah, we give you a bit. It's like, whoa, fuck me. Right, right. Make your movies better. 
I think it's interesting now that my had had I been able to talk to my teenage self and told him that you will still jerk off as much, um, <laughs> but also that every TV show you watch will be a TV show you wish existed. Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, I'm watching Legion right now, which was this oh, minor character that I really dug. Right. And not as a like, I'm um, cool. I like Legion. It was a fascinating and it was a character that actually scared me right. as a kid because it was, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the show, but the I'm character not. is like, it's like Professor X's son, but he doesn't know it. And he's the most pop- powerful mutant because he's a schizophrenic, but every personality has a different power that oh. exists. And I remember reading the character, and I think it was uh, Sienkiewicz who drew it. Yeah, and you meet us. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it was great. Yeah, but like that's a TV show. And then every other dumb TV show I watch is like someone's got a cape. There's like the fact that Supergirl has the Martian Manhunter, who I've loved my whole life, Uh, is on it. It's like, what does he look like? Um, it's kind of the the later New Fifty Two kind of version, but the character is um the human version is is black. Okay. Which oh, I cool. like because it adds this whole new level of like the Martian mythos of the genocide and all that because you couldn't tell that story back then. So now you make it this. So it kind of adds a whole layer. But it's fascinating that now everything is comics. And most people don't even realize it. Like when I went to see Snowpiercer, I didn't realize that was a comic. Who? What was it based on? That's a, it, it, was Mark, a, it, was a, it was a French comic. Oh. No, and that, that didn't even get released here in the 80s because kind of creepy, you know, which odd for the States not to have something. Probably because it was French. <laughs> yeah, when I went to Tokyo for the first time, I went to a comic store and I was like, what's like the weirdest, most fucked up comic you have? And they were like, this one. And I bought it for you. Yes, you did. Yeah. You wanted something. <laughs> oh, was it really, was yeah. it really fucked up? Yeah, it was fucked It was hentai basically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? They're like, well, what level of hentai do you <laughs> yeah. want? Like how much, we can't show cocks, so we show tentacles here. <laughs> That's way worse than Cox. It's way right, worse. It's right, right. way worse. Way fucking worse. Um, yeah, creepy, creepy. So creepy. when does a, the Fantagraphics thing come out? Uh, like um, end of March. End of March. I'm, okay. going, I'm going to LA on um, the eight, March 8th to do like an opening for it at Meltdown Comics. Oh, great. Um, and the first issue that comes out is Crime Destroyer 1. And then Bullwhip comes out in April. And then Atlas comes out in... May and then the last three issues. I have this character called Blind Justice, who's kind of a, a character who uh, believes that he's vulnerable but might be really delusional. But he seems to unnerve people so much because they'll be shooting at him and a walk just right towards them, and the bullets will like after the battle, you'll realize that he's actually shot and he just doesn't register it. He just believe if he's shot in the arm, he's like, "Yeah, should have been should have been in my heart. I can't die." So he is, uh, in his, in his secret identity, he like sits in this trauma ward for people who are, have brain injuries and he just plays it to the hilt as if he's catatonic. And then when there's crime to fight and he's a little guy and when there's crime to fight, he just puts on this handmade armor that's made out of duct tape and cardboard, like a prison armor and a big suit and bandages. So he's like this creepy, uh, character who's a little bit, who's, kind of got a fragmented kind of mentality and we so we got that issue i I did half the art on that and uh i wrote or co-wrote all of them with ben mara and like i said we got like old-timey guys um herb herb trimpy was basically retired when we got him to do a whole issue and um the 
the and I, working with Al Milgram has been really cool. He's been, I mean, I, I draw and this is the first time I've really tried to do straight superhero art and have it be, you know, have that look. And uh, he really helped me. It's like, I've always tried to go for having a lot of depth in my comics. And my editor, Jason, Jason T. Miles, who's like my co-editor on the project, he's like, uh, Milgram is really pushing the sense of depth that you've been trying to get. And so I've been really studying what worked well on those pages because he has, there's like three layer, three or four layers of depth, like extreme foreground, midground, background, and very deep background. And so I've been, uh, I've, I've, again, it's the idea of an apprenticeship. Yeah. Working with somebody, Milgram is 70, I think, working with somebody who has all of his experience and brings that to the comic, it's, it's really, um, it's been really cool for me. It's been very satisfying creatively. And the whole thing is like much bigger than anything I've done before. This is all amazing. Mm. Awesome. And cool. it all started with Jonah wanting to talk about integrity. Yeah. All started with integrity. Thank you yeah. so much. Humanity yeah. is the devil. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. No doubt. All right. Thank you to Josh Bayer for coming by. If you want to check out what he's up to, you can visit him online at joshbayer.com. Take a class with him. If you're in New York, take a class with him. Take a comic book writing class. Or drawing class. Hell yeah. Figure drawing, portrait drawing. He does a lot of cool classes. I, I actually, maybe I'll take one of these classes. Take a class. He also does private lessons and tutoring. Education is key. Education is fundamental. It is It is fun and mental. It is fun and mental. And uh, Stephen, thanks, you know, for for manning the, the Pro Tools for me. Yes. Pulse Music. Stephen Grawalski, Pulse Music. Thanks for manning, manning things. Thanks for letting us record. Thanks to Josh Bayer for coming by. If you want to support this podcast, you can um, go to Venmo, Venmo to at off track. It will show up as Brad Worrell. Um, and we're assuming Brad isn't pocketing all the money and or spending it on scratch off tickets. <laughs> Although, hey man, we can make more. Is <laughs> it just we've heard, I've been we've been through this before, Brad? Uh, but yeah, you can donate there. You can donate on our site. You can also, um, if you're strapped for cash, that's cool. Uh, you can just leave us a nice review on iTunes, tweet at us, promote the podcast organically. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. We'll be back uh, next week with another very cool podcast. Um, oh, yeah, this is a really good one. The Twins. The Twins. It may involve uh, a member of the Flaming Lips. Woo! And it may involve the host of a children's TV show. That's so, interesting. I'm going to leave that as a huge cliffhanger. But, yeah, tune in next week. Thanks to Josh for coming by. Thanks to Pulse Music. Bye.